Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Welcome to Every Town. Thank you guys so much for tuning into our podcast. If you guys enjoy listening to Every Town, then I wanted to let you know that there are always a video component to each episode over on our YouTube channel called Scary Mysteries. They're really well put together and put faces to the names, so you can always head over to our Scary Mysteries YouTube channel if you want to view them. There's also two other videos that come out on our YouTube channel each and every Monday and Wednesday where we cover strange and creepy stories from all around the world. Those can also be listened to in podcast form on our other podcast channel called Scary Mysteries. We have tons of cool content for you all around. Thanks so much for the support and tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. Every town has a dark side. Today we're heading to Pittsfield, which is in Berkshire County, Massachusetts, where we learn about the crimes and conviction of Caius Veovis, 
a satanic worshipper with horn implants. I'll see you all in hell. Remember that. Every fucking one of you. I'll see you all in hell. These were the words a man screamed at the jurors who convicted him of murder, kidnapping, and intimidation of a witness back in September of 2014. Anyone who sees K.S. Veovis up close and personal wouldn't have an iota of doubt that he must have indeed emanated from hell, or at least wished he had come from there. The visage of Caius can be a frightening sight to behold. His horn implants and a tattoo of 666, which the Bible considers the number of the beast, is adorned on his forehead. His teeth are sharpened and his tongue split. His nose is also pierced by a large wound through his septum. This gives an impression that Caius is the devil reincarnated and the crimes that he had done would give credence to this notion. Hi, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and I'm bringing you another fascinating story in this week's episode of Everytown. Among the roughly 45,000 in population in Pittsfield, Massachusetts back in 2011, Caius Veovis stood out. He fascinated the world with his mugshot and court photos as one of three men accused in a triple murder. His fiendish appearance apparently complemented his evil crimes, which only a self-confessed satanic worshipper like him would commit. This is the story of a man who embraced the universe's dark side and fearlessly committed despicable acts as young as age 13. Let's get to know Roy Gutfinsky Jr., who was reborn as Caius Domitius Veovis. The year 1980 in the United States was marked with many highs and lows. After the recession ended in June, America voted Ronald Reagan as its new president, defeating Jimmy Carter in November. There were new beginnings as the best-selling arcade game of all time, Pac-Man, was released, and CNN was officially launched. But legendary singer and songwriter John Lennon's life was ended by four gunshots outside his Manhattan apartment. Then there were the natural calamities that hit across America. The Livermore earthquake shook the East Bay area of California. Mount St. Helen in Washington erupted, causing $3 billion in damage. A series of deadly tornadoes struck Grand Island, Nebraska, and a heat wave claimed 1,700 lives. There was a severe thunderstorm that caused destruction in western Wisconsin, and Hurricane Allen devastated southeastern Texas as a Category 3. And it was in this decade that moral panic due to satanic ritual abuse originated in the U.S. 
In the same year, Roy Gutfinsky's senior's wife, Trina, and Augusta, Maine, quietly gave birth to a son who became his father's junior and a brother to sisters, Erin and Brianna. Roy Gutfinsky Jr.'s birth, by all means, wasn't of national importance to America. But decades later, he became his family's biggest catastrophe as plain old Roy Jr. rose to national prominence for being a notorious criminal who worshipped the Prince of Darkness. Roy Jr. had a difficult time fitting in with his life in Augusta, and it started his brush with authorities at an early age. His first encounter with the judicial system happened when he was just 13 years old. Roy Jr. was arrested for carrying a knife and his involvement with the occult. He allegedly revealed to a juvenile detention facility staff member that a nun had called him psycho and evil and even told him that he would become a murderer later in his life. He must have took it to heart and somehow ingrained it into his mind because he went on to perpetrate a horrendous crime later in his teenage years. Still living in Augusta in 1999, the then 19-year-old Roy Jr. was dating 17-year-old Deanna Jones. On August 21st of that year, the young lovers met a 16-year-old girl in downtown Augusta and brought her to a motel room where they assaulted their unknowing victim as part of a ritualistic blood-drinking ceremony. Using a razor, Roy Jr. made a 7-inch incision across the girl's back, and the blood oozing from the gash was symbolically drank by Roy Jr. and Deanne while passionately kissing one another. The hapless girl then showed up at the hospital's emergency room for treatment of her cut, which required more than 30 stitches to close. That's when police were notified. In November, Deanne, who agreed to be treated as an adult, pleaded guilty for elevated, aggravated assault in the blood-drinking ritual. She and the victim claimed Roy Jr. wasn't a participant in that ritual, but a judge found him to be a principal actor in it. He was charged with elevated, aggravated assault and reckless conduct for the girl's attack. During Roy Jr.'s waived jury trial in 2000, prosecutor Alan Kelly portrayed the juvenile offender as a satanic worshiper who told police he was a vampire and drank blood his own as well as other persons. He was also the subject of court-ordered mental health examinations. In March of 2000, Roy Jr. was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison, as well as four years probation, but he only served seven and a half years in jail. By the time he was freed, Roy went against the law again. In 2006, He was charged with kidnapping for allegedly holding two employees of the Foxy Lady, which was a New Bedford strip club against their will. 
The women called police from a motel bathroom after Roy Jr. and another man stripped their clothing, started snorting cocaine, and refused to let the women leave. Fortunately, the kidnapping charges were later dismissed, but Roy Jr. was a magnet for more trouble. He was convicted of marijuana possession, which triggered a probation violation charge in Maine that led to another three-and-a-half-year prison stint on that violation in Maine State Prison. And while some convicted criminals have had a change of heart finding God while incarcerated, Roy Gutfinsky Jr. gravitated more towards Satan and reinvented himself as Caius Domitius Beovis. Part of reinventing himself was changing his name, and Roy Gutfinsky Jr. first attempted to do so in 2003. Since he dabbled as a lead singer of a black metal band called Dead Hole and went by the name Trash, he wanted to rename himself as Dizayed Trash Horror. However, his efforts failed. Still behind bars in Maine in July of 2008, Roy Jr. finally succeeded in changing his legal name to Caius Domitius Viovis. It came with altering his physical appearance, resembling a devilish monster with horn-like objects implanted on his forehead, proudly showing the demonic figures 666 emblazoned across it. Among his other body modifications included more facial tattoos, large septum piercings, sharpened teeth, and a split tongue. In July of 2010, Roy Jr., now known as Caius, was released from Maine's probation system. The change in name and appearance in honor of Satan undoubtedly intensified the propensity of Caius to go against the law. In August of 2011, 14 months after his probation release, the 31-year-old was implicated in the murders of three mentally challenged men in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He was arrested a month later, and his new look and name, captured in a mugshot, debuted on national and international media, which went viral. England's Sun newspaper called his photo one of the most frightening mugshots ever. The Smoking Gun website called it easily the scariest mugshot of an accused murder you will see today. The Daily Mail of England likened the photo to the Star Trek Deep Space Nine character, Gul Dukat. But what despised Chaos were the media's allegations that his new name was taken from the popular Twilight book series turned movie franchise. Thus, he sent a letter to a media outlet penned in a highly stylized handwriting and signed his name with an upside-down cross and 666 beneath that. He refuted the media reports of his new name's origin and set out to explain. So why Caius Demodius Viovis? His first and middle names were inspired by the great Roman emperors Caligula and Nero, 
and his last name is from an ancient Etruscan demon. In Roman mythology, Veiobis is the lesser-known god of the underworld. This new name change emboldened him to embark as an accomplice in a heinous crime, the kidnapping and murder of three Pittsfield men in August of 2011. In return, he became a media sensation and the poster boy for the closest re-embodiment of the devil in looks and in deeds, at least in Massachusetts. On the morning of August 24, 2011, the radio blasted with the warnings of incoming Hurricane Irene, and so the people of Massachusetts were battering down their hatches. The Home Depot hardware store in Pittsfield had been busy that day, but store clerk William Gregory couldn't forget one customer who bought a hatchet. This man wore his long, lank hair pulled back from his face in a messy ponytail, which showed off his horn-like implant and 666 tattoo. It was, of course, Caius Veovis. It's believed that that hatchet had been used by Caius in helping murder three vulnerable men with learning difficulties just a few days later between August 28th and 29th. The victims of the triple homicide were 44-year-old David Glasser, 47-year-old Robert Chadwell, and 58-year-old Edward Frampton, who were all last seen in the Pittsfield apartment shared by David and Edward. They were alleged to have been kidnapped sometime in the early hours on August 28th by Caius and two other men, 36-year-old Adam Hall from Peru, Massachusetts, and 46-year-old David Chalou from North Adams. When Caius was still serving time in jail, he had become friends with Adam, a sergeant-at-arms of Berkshire County's Hell's Angels, which is a worldwide motorcycle club that Caius wanted to be a part of with the help of Adam. This is likely how Caius got involved in the triple kidnapping come homicide case with Adam as the ringleader. In 2009, Adam got into trouble with Glasser when the former was convinced that the latter took his truck's carburetor. Adam stormed Glasser at his house and beat him up with a baseball bat. Suffering from bruises and a swollen face, Glasser reported the assault to police. However, the trial against Adam took place two years later in 2011, in which Glasser was set to testify and give evidence, much to the chagrin of Adam. So, Adam had to do something, otherwise he'd go down. And that's when he hatched a plan with Caius and his other friend, David Chaloux, who was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang. The plan was simple. They would kidnap Glasser and then kill him so he wouldn't be able to testify in Adam's assault trial. But there was a hitch. Glasser shared his apartment with Edward Frampton, 
and their other friend, Robert Chadwell, frequented their apartment as well. So the trio of would-be attackers thought that if they'd target Glasser alone, his two friends, who despite having learning disabilities, would possibly identify and report them to the police. So, for Adam, Caius, and David, there was only one way out. Abduct and murder all three. The crimes of Adam, David, and Caius were timed at the height of Hurricane Irene that battered Pittsfield, Massachusetts with heavy rains on August 28, 2011. The account of what transpired that fateful night was given by a fourth man dragged into the triple homicide, 55-year-old David Casey, who later pleaded guilty to three counts of accessory after the fact of murder. He particularly testified during the trial of one of the murderers, David Shalou, in May of 2014. According to David Casey, Adam and his conspirators, David and Caius, forced their three victims out of their Pittsfield residence at gunpoint before taking them to the woods. Adam held Glasser's head as he shot him, but the gun didn't fire, so Glasser took off running into the woods. Adam told David Shalou to go after Glasser, shoot him, but he missed his target. When Glasser was brought back to Adam, he begged for his life and said he wouldn't testify. But Adam shot him while telling him what would happen if he allowed him to live. Glasser's two friends... Frampton and Chadwell were also tortured, shot, and stabbed to death. The perpetrators apparently weren't content with their brutality there, and so they performed a despicable act. They dismembered the bodies of their dead victims. Caius was singled out as the one who found pleasure in torturing and mutilating the bodies of the poor men. Adam particularly held up Glasser's cut-up head and said how ugly he was without teeth. But why was David Casey dragged into this ugly mess? Adam threatened his family with harm if he didn't help bury the victims' bodies. But if David Casey did, his sister, Teresa Cunnigan, and her boyfriend, Scott Langdon, would be all right. Langdon participated with Adam in the 2010 failed scheme to frame Glasser and was a witness in the case. The next day after the triple murders, Adam, David, Shalou, and Caius met with Langdon in the town of Beckett, about 13 miles away from Pittsfield. Langdon at the time was doing work for a rural private property there and it became the site where the dead bodies of Glasser, Frampton, and Chadwell would be buried. The property owner wasn't there, so Langdon dug a hole about four feet deep, three feet wide, and eight feet long using an excavator. Then Adam and his accomplices 
brought out from his car the bags containing the dead men's remains, loaded them onto the excavator, threw them into the hole, which they then cover with dirt and rocks. Where the victims were actually killed remains a mystery, but investigators still believe the Pittsfield State Forest somehow played a role. The murder weapons were never recovered, and at the time, it seemed like a perfect crime for the trio. But even the devil can do things wrong, and a more powerful force can take the reins. In the aftermath of the assault case David Glasser had filed in 2009, Adam Hall had been harassing and intimidating Glasser to stop him from testifying, which would lead to his conviction. Glasser had told local police he feared for his life and what Adam could do to him. He even applied to go into a witness protection program, and this placed Adam, David, and Kayas on the police's radar. So when Glasser and his friends, Edward Frampton and Robert Chadwell, disappeared under mysterious circumstances, Adam became the prime suspect. Although the weapons used in murdering and dismembering the three men have never been identified, authorities deem that Adam didn't act alone and had accomplices with him. Adam was arrested and soon Caius and David Chalou were implicated as well. When David Casey, the fourth man allegedly involved in the triple homicide, was told about Adam's arrest, he told police where the bodies were buried. However, Casey didn't initially say he was involved, although he later admitted his guilt. After 10 days had passed, since Glasser, Frampton, and Chadwell were abducted, tortured, and killed, Local and federal detectives uncovered their bodies in Beckett. And so, it was payback time for the triple murders. Adam and his two accomplices were arrested in September of 2011, charged with murder and other crimes, and tried one by one a few years later. The three alleged perpetrators denied all charges at their arraignments at the Central Berkshire District Court in Pittsfield. Each was denied the right to bail and was held pending their trial. Meanwhile, David Casey became a fourth co-defendant in the case, but he wasn't charged with murder. Instead, he was found guilty of three counts of accessory after the fact of murder three counts of accessory after the fact of kidnapping, and three counts of accessory after the fact of intimidation of a witness. His significant role, though, was as a key prosecution witness at the separate trials of Adam and David Shalhou. The two men, together with Caius, were held in jail for more than a year and a half and finally got their day in court starting in January of 2014. In February of that year, mastermind Adam was the first one convicted by a jury in Springfield County 
on three counts of first-degree murder, three counts of kidnapping, and three counts of intimidation of a witness. He was slapped with three consecutive life sentences without parole. By mid-May of 2014, it was now David Chalou's turn to suffer the same fate handed down to Adam. This time, Chalou didn't escape serving jail time, unlike in 2011 when he was acquitted from charges of armed assault with intent to rob, assault with a dangerous weapon, extortion by threat of injury and threat to commit a crime, and a Chicopee McDonald's restaurant. But with Chalou's conviction for the triple homicide, the prosecution's impending lucky streak continued to strike, and the final target was the group Satan Worshipper. The trial of Caius Veovis started on September 3, 2014. It became a media sensation primarily because of his looks, and this worried his defense lawyer, James Reardon Jr., who believed that his client's unique appearance might prejudice the jury's decision whether to convict Caius or not. But after more than 36 hours of deliberation over six days, the jury came up with a verdict on September 26, 2014. Caius Veovis, already 34 years old, was guilty on three counts, each of murder, kidnapping, and intimidation of a witness. Just like his co-criminals, Adam and David, Caius was expected to serve three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole because first-degree murder convictions in Massachusetts carry a mandatory life sentence without parole. For Berkshire District Attorney David Capeless, the jurors were obviously conscientious, considered the evidence very carefully and did their duty. Capeless went on to say, This has been an awful ordeal for the families and friends of David Glasser, Ed Frampton, and Robert Chadwell, and I hope that now that we have closed this chapter. It will possibly, at the very least, end the constant reminder to the families of what has happened to their loved ones. At Case's sentencing, his lawyer said that he wasn't the man portrayed in the media. The convicted Satanist himself read a prepared statement in which he argued that he was innocent. He said, Let me make this clear. My hand wasn't in this. You condemned an innocent man, and I will appeal this. Case also argued that District Attorney David Kaplis knew I did not kill these men and wanted him to become an informer in order to win a lenient sentence. I will not let this man sell me my own hide at the price of my integrity. I would rather spend the rest of my life in prison rather than make that deal. Caius would indeed spend the rest of his life where he belongs, behind bars. And it's a fate even the devil he worships couldn't save him from. So that's it for this week's episode of Every Town. Tune in next week for another one filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories 
because who knows, maybe your town will be next.